you've made this day, you've made this day that you love us, and we offer you our lives, our talents, our finances, our whole being to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we've got a real treat today. We've got a special from uh, all the middle class kids. Come on down, guys.
Good job, kids, youth. That's a big class. So some of you are teachers. You can take your Sunday school class and do have them do your special, right? Thanks, John. Thanks. Uh, what do you call your yourselves? Just a Sunday school class, John Sunday school class. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come together and and worship you together. We thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, uh, for the encouragement from it, but also the challenges uh, from your word. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would guide us in understanding uh, it and applying it to our lives. And and Lord, um, that that each one here today will be encouraged um, to continue to follow you throughout this next week. Thank you, Lord, for for not leaving us nor forsaking us, as it says in Philippians 4. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go back to the Gospel of John, and I don't know, if if you know me by now, going fast or going through a book fast is is not my comfort zone. So you might pray as I work through these notes uh, that we we do well, because we're not going to get all the little jewels in this passage, okay? But sometimes there's a great advantage to doing an overview and kind of looking at the overall scheme or thought as we go through these passages. And that's my hope for us as we go through it here this morning. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. And the key verses I've picked out and put in our notes, and just a reminder in your notes, in the bulletin insert our notes for you. Uh, You can fill out or you could just do your own notes, or you can say, boy, that's bad, I'm going to do my own. But anyway, for me, as an audiovisual type of learner, it's always been good to, uh, even if I'm not writing notes, to doodle, you know, and I can uh, remember things better. Um, but we're going to come to this passage in, in John chapter 4, and I suppose a lot of passages we could entitle what we have here, the Messiah's Call. And a reminder in, in youth group, I mentioned uh, that, that Christ is the Greek form for Messiah. And that's where we get Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. And in this passage, we see reference to even a Samaritan woman knowing that there was a Messiah to come and Jesus saying that he is the Messiah. But I suppose we could use a lot of passages and say, or look at a lot of passages and entitle them the Messiah's call when we look at the, all the Gospels. And so it reminds me, uh, what do you call a cow? Let's not get too serious too fast. What do you call a cow that travels with you and can make a phone call? Anybody? Kids. Kids, you listening? This is a time to listen where we're, we're not looking at the word very well. What, what do you call a cow that can travel with you and make telephone calls? A mobile phone. Right? Yeah, there, all right. I, you're laughing. How about this one? Why can't you make a phone call on a banana? Huh? Because you need an Apple product, right? You know, Apple. I don't use an Apple. I almost didn't use that corny joke because I'm an Android user. Uh, But, okay, we'll quit on the lame jokes. I just, you know, how my week went, I thought we got to do something lame. And 
maybe a little fun as we start out this morning. But here, Jesus' call was in person, okay? Most of us are very familiar with this passage here in John chapter 4. We love the, the and, and many of us love the candid banter that happens here. Could we call it candid banter? And Jesus has this candid banner between uh, this woman and himself at the well. And, And I love the claim of Jesus that he not only is the living water, but he is the Messiah. And so there are several calls or challenges from Jesus in this passage that I think all of us need to answer. And we'll say, well, yeah, some of them I've answered. Have you answered all four that we're going to look at here? And one of those really is a daily, well, several of them are daily, that we need to answer this call or, or this, this challenge from the Lord. Um, the reality is that Jesus offers us a better life all the way around. Not just eternal life, but a better life. A better way of doing things. And so... Um, if, if you look at the, the main thought here, our best life is to answer the call of the Messiah. And if we answer his call, we will live our best lives now. And this may be a little bit of a twist on words from, I believe, a heretical teacher, Joel Olstein, in his book a few years ago, Live Your Best Life Now. But we can live our best life forever if we follow Christ. And it's not based about the material possessions you gain or have. Or how successful you seem to be materially here on this earth. A best life is one that is prepared for eternity and living with that, that view in mind, with that perspective in mind. And so our best life is to answer the call of the Messiah and the first call in John 4. And we're not going to go over all these verses. I would encourage you... Uh, If you're not doing personal devotions, go back through this week and take a paragraph at a time or portions at a time and study this passage, okay? But the first call here in, in John 4 is believe and know that there is a call to drink freely, right? Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And that makes me think of drinking freely. And I'm sure we can all think of those moments. You know, if we have water at hand, we don't need it, right? But the moment we're out there in the fields, or we're out alone, or playing it, and doing an activity of some sort, and we don't have water at hand, we're like, man, I wish I had some water. Here Jesus says we can drink freely all the time. And so we have this passage here. And, and look at verse 4 and six, through 6. We, we find the place, okay? So first we have the ask here in this passage. I'm a little slow on my slides, but um, we have the ask, okay? And, and first in this passage we see that in verse 4 through 6 he's in Sychar in Samaria and I, I think you've all had the background the understanding that Jews really didn't they would go around Samaria because they didn't associate with the Samaritans and here Jesus is in Sy, by Sychar in Samaria 
at a place where, where Jacob had given Joseph this parcel of ground, including the well. And so the problem was here that we find Jesus was wearied, and we could talk about this in the sense that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is fully man. He was wearied, it says. So yes, he did get tired and he did get thirsty because he was fully God and fully man. But he's here in the Samaritan territory where at best they were half-breeds who were not fully worshiping God the way that they were commanded to in the Old Testament law. And here we also not only find that he's in this spot with these people that are worshiping in the wrong way and they're half-breeds at best, but he's talking to a woman which rabbis didn't really talk to or teach the women in their culture. And so we see Jesus breaking all the molds and talking to this woman. And what he asked first is, can I have a drink of water? In verse 7, this begins the whole discourse, right? You're familiar with it, aren't you? This whole discourse, isn't this fascinating? He just simply says, give me a drink. Um, so verse 9 is the background of what I just told you, that this is breaking the molds. In verse 10, we find that Jesus says, okay, and I already read this once to you, but I want you to get, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so thus begins the whole discourse. And the reality is he's not talking about this, this physical water, but a new eternal life in Jesus Christ and a deep relationship with him and the Father. But he says, if you knew the gift of God. Now, what is he talking about? I think she kind of picked up on it. I mean, maybe not at first, but to go answer this question, we we go through the whole dialogue and at verse 25, we find that The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Now, there's a lot of other discussion in this, okay? And so we're jumping past a lot of that, but but getting back to the original question of Jesus, if he had, or statement, if he had known the gift of God, and through the whole conversation, they get to the point where she says in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when that one comes, He will declare all things to us. So they have a sense, and she has this sense of an idea of a reality from the Old Testament, even for these Samaritans, even as a woman who's not living the way she should have been living, has this idea that God the Father is going to send a Savior, a Messiah. And here Jesus is saying the Messiah gives living water. And we could say living water is a gift, maybe. But what is the living water? Look at verse 11 through 15. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come uh, nor come all the way here to draw. So she's still beginning to, uh, okay, what, what are you saying? But he's talking about eternal life. And so the call of the Messiah, I, I just want to challenge you with, is to drink freely, drink freely of not only just the eternal life, but that relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. The relationship that you can have with the Father through Christ. When you look at the Gospel of John, it's all about you cannot know the Father unless you first know the Son. And that know really here in this passage, it's not as in 1 John, the know of an intimate relationship, but a true belief in Jesus Christ. If you do not have faith in the Son, then you cannot have faith or relationship with the Father. And so Jesus gives us eternal life. He gives us a relationship. He gives us so much more as we drink freely in this relationship with Him. And so I might be stretching it just a little bit, but you need to understand water is something we need constantly. Remember last Sunday we talked about food and water and how long you could go with or without that? You can go. Remember, kids, you can go a lot longer without food than you can water. And I think it's very important for us to understand that we should be very dependent upon Jesus Christ. Not only dependent, but understanding that that is more refreshing than anything that we can ever have on this earth. We still may have trouble. We still may have problems. We still may be hurting. Things may be going wonderful. But there's nothing more refreshing than an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there's this call to drink freely to all of us. I love what Spurgeon says. If Christ were only a cistern, we might soon exhaust his fullness. Right, what's a cistern? It's, it's like a tank underwater that holds, underground, <laughs> that holds water, okay? It's, it's a tank, you know, or usually brick, stone, or cement. You may run into them, those of you out in the hills. We'd run into them at old homesteads when I was working at Milldale where there's this empty cistern. Pretty cool to look into. Cement cisterns. But they would store water. The windmills would pump, or they would pump water. Now in Israel, they may have gathered it from from the rain and, and other places they may do it that way, but it's where they would store the water. They'll run dry if they don't have water coming into them. But Jesus, but who can drain a fountain? Jesus is the fountain of living water. And so our best life is to answer the call of the Messiah and understand, hey, I can drink freely in this relationship. He's going to satisfy my needs, but I've got to cling to him. I, I always need water. You always need Christ. The second call is the call to worship. <clears throat> and the main verse that I was looking at is 24, but Wait just a minute until we get there. And here in verse 15, there's this conviction. And so after she still doesn't get it, you know, she wants this living water in verse 15. I mean, she doesn't want to have to thirst physically again. But there's more to it. He said to her, go, call your husband and come here. You want this water? Uh Uh-oh. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So what do we find here with with this statement? What is Jesus doing? Does he want her to answer the call or not? Well, yeah, but she has to figure out, I have this need. And therefore, it means that there's going to have to have some conviction. There's conviction. So there's a couple of truths here about Jesus. One, he knows everything, right? Have we talked about that before? You can't hide anything from him. You might be able to hide it from your parents. can't hide it from him. Maybe from your spouse. Maybe from your friends. Maybe from your community. You can't hide it from him. Secondly, I hope there's conviction in your life where, you're li- where you are indeed living in sin. She's living in sin. So number one, we can't compromise on these things. And I know even though we say it's a cultural thing, it's also a personal thing. We may look at the culture and say, look how far they are. And because they're so far down that road, these things that still are sin don't seem so bad anymore. Right? We're all there. Every one of us have have dealt with it. I believe maybe you're better than me. But don't say it's okay. In your relationship as you drink freely, Jesus will convict. And you might be confused. Oh, well, there's this call to worship. Well, there has to be this conviction so that we see our need and we come full force and understand, hey, where's my worship if I'm not following Christ? There is no worship. Where's my worship if I'm following the ways of the world? It's going to be down here. Our view of Christ, our view of the Father is going to be so low, we are barely even beginning. We may think, oh man, I'm worshiping the Lord now. And we're just hitting the ceiling right here when the ceiling should be way up there. Because we're living in sin. So when we come back to this passage, he's convicting her Right? In verse 16, Jesus seemed to, seems to have some pretty aggressive questions in this passage because he knows that serious surgery requires serious removal of the disease. I would encourage everyone that it's not when you feel the conviction that you should be scared. It's when you're doing things that you know is wrong and you're not feeling the conviction. That's when it should be very, very scary. Both of them are bad. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But don't allow the culture or your own thinking to change you so much that you're not convicted when you should be convicted. And praise the Lord when He convicts us. But sin is extremely destructive. Don't nullify it. So her sin, what is it? I think it looks very similar to what we see today. People have reasoned away, hey, uh, it's okay to be in immoral relationships. Does Jesus take serious immoral relationships seriously? Uh, Even those that could be deemed normal by more conservative standards. (laughs) I did say that, all right? Today, even our conservative standards says, oh, well, it's too heterosexuals, it's okay. No, no. 
but not only about her sin. And, and so I just want to challenge you. Don't let the culture change you so much that what seems normal is, but is still sin is okay. It's not okay. But there's also the conviction of a false religion. Conviction of a woman in a false religion. Look at this passage here. The woman said to, her, to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So this continues. Because she says, how do you know this? You have to be a prophet to know this. Uh, they didn't have social media. He couldn't go back and look. Okay? Our fathers worshipped in, in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, we should take a lot of time to talk about that, simply re- understanding God promised, God's promises came through the Jewish people to the world, okay? And in that promise was a Messiah, and that Messiah came from the Jews, that is Jesus, okay? There's, there's more discussion on that, but we're not going to get into it today. Verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Key verse, key verses there, Right? She was in a false religion. They were not holy and fully worshiping as they should have been according to Old Testament law. Jesus had not yet died, okay? But the picture here is yet the Jewish religious leaders were against Jesus and so they weren't even doing it right. They weren't following where the law would lead. And Jesus is then, therefore, pointing out, hey, you're worshiping what you don't know. You are so far off, it's it's, uh, not even funny or sad. So there's a conviction of these false religions, and so there's this need. He, He wants her to see her need. Look at verse 19 again, where she sees that he must be a prophet to know her, right? Sir, you must be a prophet. This then changes the conversation, the conversation to where the Jews were right or Samaritans and how they worshipped. And so Jesus is pointing out it's not where you worship. It is really, and it's even to the point, yeah, it is how you worship, but it's more pointedly to the fact that you have to and can only come to true and pure worship through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The extremes of dead orthodoxy, truth and no spirit, and zealous heterodoxy, spirit and no truth, okay, must be avoided. So one's all about, oh, we know all the truth, and then one's the other, oh, we're all about emotion and spirit and yada, yada, yada. Well, you have to come to spirit and truth. You worship the Lord God the way He says, and you follow Him, not going your own direction, but following Him right down the center. That's probably not very clear, but the reality is we have to be centered on Christ. Okay? Only in Christ is there right worship. If we let the culture lead us down a road where, hey, 
we're going to fall in line with them, there will not be true and good and pure worship if we are off following legalism. There's not going to be a right, pure and true worship. We must know the Messiah before we can worship. Our best life is to answer the call of the Messiah, turning to Him and following Him and worshiping Him and worshiping the Father through Him. Third, there is a call to believe which we could or should place before worship, okay? You cannot worship in spirit and truth unless you believe in the Savior. But there's this call to believe. Look at 25 and 26 again. In 25 and 26, uh, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. We add the he. (laughs) It's fascinating uh, the way that's put. But it is good to put he because it gives more of the sense of what the original language says. In the original language, it's not there. But here we have Jesus saying, I am the Messiah, and I am he. And so when you go through John, you see other passages more pronounced in the reality that he's saying, yes, I am he, I am holy God, and I am the Messiah. There's this call to believe in Jesus, who is the Messiah, Remember John 14, and I want to challenge you again. Memorize John 14, 1 through 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except by me. And throughout John, we see that. He's saying, hey, you can't know the Father. Wake up. Whether you're the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans or the religious elite in Jerusalem, if you do not come to accept me and believe in me, you have no relationship with the Father, the God of the Bible. Look at their response. It's fascinating, right? She ran off to tell others. When the disciples were coming, they were ending their conversation here. Um, In verse 27, at this point his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? But she ran to tell those in Sychar. And in verse 39, we see that many of them from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans, notice the conviction was important, but also that Jesus knew her intimate details of her life. It was miraculous. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one, this one is indeed, what does it say there, the Savior of the world. 
Jesus is everything. Right? I know life's tough. I mean, maybe it's great for you right now. Maybe it's going good. I shouldn't say that. We're not all in the same stages in life, right? And even for some of us, we have good things and bad things going on. But Jesus is everything. Have you turned to him by faith, first and foremost? Confessing and repenting of your sins? He's the Savior of the world. He's the one. And He calls us to drink freely. That wonderful relationship with Him, that of eternal life, and therefore that of a great hope that overshadows everything else. Because our be- this points to the reality that our best life is when we answer His call. Finally, There's this call to to harvest. Look at 35 through 38. Do you not say there are... And so as these these people from Sychar are coming, Jesus is seeing this mass group of people's disciples are there, and they're entangled in this little discussion. And and Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months... I mean, there's some fascinating discussion here, but I don't have time to really go into it. (laughs) Jesus says... No, my food is to do the will of the Father. I mean, what is good for me, what is best for me to do His will. Look at 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white. (laughs) They're white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal, for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Finally, I think it's very important for us to understand we are here on this earth for a purpose. And there's many good things that God has, has purposed for us to do, many good works but a part of that is to be involved and engaged in this wonderful harvest that is white. The harvest is ready, right? That's the picture. It's ready to take place. There's also this discussion when we look at this passage that there's different parts of, of the season that we're going to be involved in. I mean, even though it's ready as workers, we may not be able to participate in the, most, the funnest part of it, Okay? You may be doing the planting or the watering or the spraying of herbicide or what, or no, we don't do that, or pulling weeds or whatever it is. You might be in the worst, doing the worst part of the job and not seeing the end result, but the reality is even in all of this, Jesus is saying it's ready now. There are people coming to me, people ready to come, but we have to be engaged It's ready. So press on, my friends. Most importantly, as you press on, be workers for the Lord. Because workers are needed. There is an urgency here, and there is a need today. And we are very spoiled here in the United States. Very spoiled. There are people here in our churches who have grown up. 
Or even for a year you've been in a church and you say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can do it. There are other places they don't have the Word of God like we have. They haven't been able to be teached like you have. You're ready. And even if you mess up, God will use your mess-ups. He's used mine. I've messed up. And I'm willing to talk to you through all of this to point out what we need to tell them. You know, they need to turn to Jesus Christ, knowing who he is and what he has done, right? Do you know what he's done? The kids should be able to tell us. Jesus Christ is perfect, but he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose again. Do you think you kids can tell people that? And what must we do? We believe in him, what he's done, and ask him to forgive us, right? And read the word. But we can. There's no, I don't think we have any good excuses. I love Matthew 9, 36 through 38. You might write this down in your notes. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Seeing the people, he, that's Jesus, felt compassion for them. Do we have compassion for the masses? He had compassion for them because they were distressed and and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let us pray for one another and let's pray for workers who are out there harvesting or sowing and let's pray that God would send more. And in your praying he may say, Hey, That's you. The best life, the greatest life we can live is to answer the call of the Messiah. And remember, he first calls us into an intimate, saving relationship with him. He then calls us to worship and also to proclaim the message of the gospel. And with the way things are going, we need to stand up and point to what is wrong. We need to point out, hey, this, and it may not be publicly, it may be one-on-one, hey, this is sin, this is what the Bible says. You may not have to say this is sin, you might say, hey, this is what the Bible says, (laughs) and let the Holy Spirit do the conviction, but there's a lot of things that the Lord may want you to say. You know, even if with that video we're going to show this week, the guy I was talking to is very active and and doing it, he said, you know, we have people willing to take um, those on the opposite side and talk with them in a loving way. And, and there's been a few that have been able to get him, hey, let's look and see what the Bible says about these things. Now, he's from eastern Nebraska. But I think that could happen out here, too, with, with those that maybe they agree with us on certain political issues, moral issues, but they don't understand why. We have an opportunity to show them what the Word of God says and hopefully point them to Jesus Christ. It's about pointing people to him. That they may find forgiveness and a new free life in him. So pray for one another. Pray for workers to be sent to the harvest and pray that God will lead you uh, every moment and especially in those conversations that you may have uh, with others. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come before you and worship you together. We thank you, Lord, 